Well, good morning, good evening, everybody. Yeah, that's true. It is morning somewhere. Thank you. So, good evening. Uh, for those of you that um, this is maybe your first time with us this evening, we're preaching through the Gospel of Mark. And tonight we are looking at Mark chapter 6, the first six verses. Let's read those now. In fact, uh, let me invite you to read them with me, okay? Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Until several years ago, my wife had been a lifelong educator, first teaching sixth grade, then kindergarten, then she became a high school counselor, and then finally, in the latter part of her career, she was an international school principal. But when we came back from overseas, she embarked on a new career, writing. Friends would hear her tell stories over the years and say, you know, you really should write a book. You really should write a book. So finally, she decided to do it. And she went about it very systematically. She went to some writers' conferences to begin to hear what writing would entail and what it would be like. She started a blog and got invited to write for a couple of uh, Christian women's magazines. Ultimately, she hired an editor and decided to self-publish the book. But before she did, she engaged the services of an agent who took her manuscript to several publishers. She got good feedback, encouraging remarks like good publishers would tell her, okay, um, we'll take a poorly written book from someone who is well-known over a well-written book from someone who is unknown every time. It was maddening. It was maddening. Well, rejection comes in many forms to all of us. Perhaps you didn't get the job you applied for, or you were rejected by your first choice of colleges, or the person you had hoped to get to know better says, no thank you, ever, to your invitation to go to dinner and take in a movie. Or you're Tom Hanks playing Fred Rogers in A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and once again, you don't get the Oscar. For Jesus, as we read in this passage in the Gospel of Mark, rejection was more than simply being overlooked or a disappointing reply politely delivered. 
Verse 3 in our text doesn't say that people quietly left the synagogue and stopped listening to him as rabbi or that they politely disagreed with him. It says they took offense at him. Now, the Greek word translated offense in this passage is where we get our English words scandal and scandalize. The people in Jesus' hometown rejected him, yes, but it was a harsh rejection. They were offended. They were scandalized by him. To be scandalized by someone means more than you just say, well, you have your view and I have mine. No, to be scandalized evokes a visceral response. You are appalled and disgusted and outraged by them. Some commentators say that this occasion that we just read about in Mark chapter 6 is the same occasion recorded by Luke in chapter 4 of his gospel. And the end result of that run-in between Jesus and people in Nazareth was that they tried to throw him off a cliff. I would say they were scandalized. Theologian John Stott said that there were three responses in the Bible that people commonly had to Jesus. They either ran away from him in fear, or they turned on him and sought to kill him, or they fell down in front of him and worshipped him. Apparently, only incredibly offensive people get themselves worshipped and killed at the same time. Jesus apparently was not Mr. Rogers. I mean, who would want to kill Mr. Rogers, right? Why was Jesus so offensive to them? Why is he so offensive to people still today? There's a guy named William Lane William Lane, who wrote a commentary on the Gospel of Mark. And he said that the people of Nazareth were offended by the ordinariness of Jesus. Not ordinary in the sense that he only did or said ordinary or unspectacular things. I mean, we just read in verse 3 that they acknowledged his wisdom and his miracles. No, ordinary in the sense of being too familiar. They thought they knew him. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? By the way, in the patriarchal society of Jesus' day, no one would have ever said, isn't this Mary's son? They would have referred to the father of the family. Now, granted, It's possible that Joseph was dead by this time because he was quite a bit older than Mary. But almost universally, commentators say that to refer to someone as Mary's son, to refer to Jesus as Mary's son here, means that they were referring to him as being, isn't this that illegitimate kid? Isn't that who this is? It was a reference to his being born out of wedlock. I'm having trouble with my pronunciation tonight. I'm putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable and too many, too many words. But uh, So um, it's as if they were saying, well, 
you know, this Jesus, he doesn't come from extraordinary family stock. You know, he's not from a really good, solid family. He's not from strong moral timber. Can't you imagine somebody just saying of Jesus, why, I used to watch him for Mary and Joseph. I used to change his diaper or whatever it was they wore in those days. Now, that actually got me to thinking about a famous person from our own congregation here at Eastminster. And I got to thinking, I wonder if there are any members here who say of Mike Pompeo, why, I used to watch him in the nursery. I remember when he was just a snot-nosed little kid. Now, I don't mean that with any disrespect. I'm just trying to make a point. Sometimes there is a contempt that comes with familiarity. So please don't send this message to Mike Pompeo because it's going to ruin all of my aspirations for being an ambassador someday. Okay? All right. People get offended by something or someone that is too familiar. They say, I know this guy. He's just an ordinary Joe. They think they know someone or even some organization, and in their minds, the people couldn't possibly be any different than the way they have them pegged. Now, I'm going to confess to you that I was guilty of this recently through the NFL playoffs. When the Chiefs fell behind the Texans by 24 points in the first quarter of that first playoff game, I was ready to write them off. I left the room in disgust. When they fell behind the Titans by 10 points, I almost gave up on them again. And then in the Super Bowl, when they were trailing the 49ers with less than nine minutes to go in the game, I just, I'd had it. I was ready to give up on them. I thought, you know, I'm just convinced these are the same old Chiefs, can't win the big one. Now, I'm thinking some of you out there were probably thinking the same thing. I mean, think about the Chiefs' record. Since 1969, they've been to the playoffs 18 times. And 13 of those 18 times, they've been eliminated in their first playoff game. Three of the other five times, they were eliminated in the second playoff game. So I was thinking I knew them. And obviously... Praise God, it didn't turn out that way, right? Okay. So there is a contempt that comes with a certain familiarity, ways that we think we know people or even teams. People despise the familiar, the ordinary in this sense. And Jesus' words in verse 4 reflect this. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Jesus is still pretty offensive to many people today. Some of you, precisely because you identify with Jesus, are sometimes dishonored or despised in your own hometown, among your own relatives, and like Jesus, maybe even in your own home. What is it? that people find so offensive about Jesus. 
Well, some people say, you know, I'm okay with Jesus and Christians and Christianity except for one thing. I can't handle it when you say there is only one way to God. That is so stinking exclusive. Uh, if we can just look at Jesus as a good moral teacher who went about loving people and doing good, then I'm okay with him. But don't tell me I have to convert. What was it Jesus said? I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Didn't he say to Nicodemus, you must be born again? Otherwise, Nicodemus, you will never see or understand the kingdom of heaven. And some people today, as then, find Jesus being exclusive in this way, offensive. It's interesting to note, too, that Jesus not only offends the people of his own time and culture, or our time and culture today, but he offends other cultures, too. For example, here in the West, we like to think of Jesus as being willing to embrace people who have made moral mistakes. We love that he gives people second chances. But if you go to many non-Western cultures, you'll find that they're absolutely scandalized by what we love about Jesus. They tend to be people of absolute moral values, and they get offended by what we like. They aren't offended by Jesus' claims of exclusivity. They may not agree with him, but they're not offended by those claims. They're offended by what they perceive as moral laxity in predominantly Christian cultures. A few years ago, um, one of the Muslim students in the international school where Gail was principal came to our town in Missouri and went to college there. We had a good relationship with him and with his family back in Kabul. And I determined to be very straightforward with him about the gospel while he was living in our town. So I talked with him about Jesus' death and resurrection and explained how Jesus' death makes it possible for us to be forgiven our sins. But he was scandalized by that. That was a stumbling block for him. He had sweetmates in the dorm at college who lived what he considered to be debauched lives. When he asked them about their Christian faith, they said, it's okay, Jesus will forgive us. And while I would call that view of forgiveness taking license with God's grace, Ahmed Shaw struggled to understand how it was that Jesus could be so forgiving. Wasn't he scandalized by that? Didn't it bring him shame? Didn't it bring shame on their families? How could Jesus be so quick to forgive? So Jesus offends every culture in one way or another. He offends for one thing because he demands to be the ruling idea of our hearts rather than our hearts being ruled by our culture. There's actually a way that the ordinariness of Jesus and the gospel offends both Westerners and non-Westerners alike. And that is the gospel, that is that the gospel 
sometimes looks too easy. It offends people's pride. Heard the Reverend Tim Keller tell a story about his very first pastorate and a little church in Virginia. There was a lady that lived across the street from the church and she began attending. So he went to visit her one day and he shared the gospel story with her and she came to faith. And he was pretty excited about that. So a few days later, he went back to her house to visit with her and she was in tears and didn't know what to think. She was very confused. And he said, well, what's going on? What's wrong? And she said, well, I explained to my sister what had happened to me. And she said, oh, thank you. Leaning too far forward here, Joseph, aren't I? Um, She said, now, wait just a minute. What you're telling me is that I can work hard and live an upright life all my life, and then some serial killer prays to Jesus five minutes before he dies, and he goes to heaven ahead of me? That offends me. I can't believe that. And you shouldn't believe it either. That can't be right. The ordinariness of the gospel is that you are saved not by your own moral performance. You're not saved by your past deeds or your own moral record, but rather you are saved on the basis of Jesus' performance, his record. And this is offensive to some people. You know, there's no parallel to this in any religion in the world. People say, give me an eightfold path to enlightenment. Let me observe and do the five pillars. Give me some traditions or rituals that I have to do in order to make myself right with God. That's what most people want. But the Christian gospel, that's too easy. And it offends people's pride. They're scandalized by it. You may remember the Syrian king Naaman who suffered from leprosy. You can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman was a great warrior, a a valiant soldier. He wanted desperately to be healed from his leprosy. Well, his wife had uh, a little Hebrew servant, a little slave, who said, you know, if only Naaman would go and visit the prophet Elisha in Israel, he would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman does just that. He finds his way to Elisha's door, only Elisha doesn't even come out to greet this great general. He just sends his servant to tell him, go wash in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Well, Naaman was furious. He said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. But Naaman's servants went to him and said, If the prophet had told you to do some great thing, 
would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Well, finally, people get offended, not just at the ordinariness of the gospel, but also at the ordinariness of Christians. Who are we, after all? I mean, generally speaking, are we the high and mighty? You know, the first four centuries of Christianity, nearly all of those who came to faith in Christ were the poor and the powerless. But God chose the foolish, ordinary things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may, be, may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The glory of the gospel is that Christians are accepted and loved, even though we are deeply flawed even though we are ordinary Joes. Pray with me, will you? Lord Jesus, you have revealed yourself to us. You have made known to us our need for you and your willingness to meet that need. Perhaps many of us have resisted you for a long time, or perhaps we have seen who you are and said yes to you, to your grace and your mercy. Lord, help us to not be offended or scandalized by anything that we assume in our own hearts and minds about you, but instead let us search the scriptures, let us fellowship with others, let us ask, seek, knock to find answers to our questions and to be willing to surrender our hearts to you every day. I pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.